Everybody, guys, gals, non-binary pals, we are yes. back again with another scaring and sharing. Yeah, it's the place, the quorum, the forum where we share our scares with each other and you. Is a quorum? That's a thing, right? Quorum or quorum? I don't know how you pronounce that. <laughs> well, I would say vehicles. So yeah, I, what's yeah. A, well, either way? What's a what's a quorum? What's a quorum? Quorum. quorum. A quorum. quorum. What is that? It's a gathering of people, right? Yeah, so it can be a quorum or a forum. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm looking it up right now. We're a quorum forum where we share our scares. It says the minimum number of members of an assembly or society that must be present at any of its meetings to make the proceedings of that meeting valid. Oh, okay. And a forum is also like a place where you can like talk, yeah. right? So I feel at Quorum, the two of us are the Quorum. Got We're it. the minimum number to make this show valid. <laughs> and then the people are the Forum. That's it. There you go. I think that's I think that's correct. If there's anyone, uh, any grammar nerds, you know, out there or uh, English nerds, let us know. Yeah. And you are Jeremy, the OG Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And you are Brandy Joe, the Flaming cream queen plan back <laughs> yes my new name the cream queen <laughs> oh god he's the he's the scream queen you'll find him as the scream queen under his handles but now we have dubbed him the cream queen <laughs> oh i love it jeremy i literally just saw you days ago and then we podcasted just days ago so. yeah and now we're podcasting again so i yes, really have are. nothing nothing new has really happened i know <laughs> i don't know have a whole much heck of a much of anything i can report just since i mean we saw scream on like I, so okay Movies come out on Thursday nights now. I had I remember when I was in grad school, which now was forever ago, like like mm -hmm. nine years ago, right, or ten years ago, or whatever. But like I remember someone telling me like all movies come out on Thursday nights now, and I'm like, no, they don't. We got this big argument, and I was wrong because they do. But yes. do they call Thursday night openings previews? I saw in the news. Yeah, they called Scream preview night Thursday because uh, they it's said so it had a strong preview night. Why do they do that? And because it has been that way for a while now, but like, why does that happen? I understand a big factor because because I remember when I was a teenager and like into college and then like just out of college, like you went to opening night was midnight. You know, it was oh. Thursday or technically Friday morning at midnight. So I would go to midnight showings. But only like, some the, movies, like big, like Yeah, big movies to see Not the like opening. Every yeah. Movie. Okay. Yeah, just to see the big opening. Uh, and then they started pushing it back. And then they're like, we're doing previews at nine, blah, blah, blah. But I understand nowadays a big factor was that that shooting in Colorado years ago. That they're not doing lit midnight shows anymore. Yeah, because that's what I was a, gonna say. Yeah. It was at a midnight show. It's it's been prompted by safety concerns that they don't do it anymore. And but as if that really <laughs> does anything you know what i mean yeah, like, it's, it's not it's like oh those... you go crazy after 11 p.m only crazy yeah, people come out after that it's one of those false senses of safety i think people you know it, it kind of like the amount of security that's at an airport nowadays where most of that is just for show and doesn't really uh what is your shirt it's a nightmare on elm street shirt oh it's, it's part three it's the poster of part three 
So I have a question about the the artwork. Do you remember the artist's name? Mm -mm. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Okay, so the posters for Nightmare on Elm Street are some of the best horror posters, like that original run. I don't know if he stopped doing it, but his name is Matthew Joseph Peak. Mm -hmm. Is the author? I mean the 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 artist. The artist. Uh -huh. And they're they're so good. But I have a theory that like he wasn't able to see the movies like before he did the poster. <laughs> oh, probably not. Because a lot like, of them. Nancy doesn't really look like Nancy. Nope. And then the girl who plays Kristen or Kirsten, depending on which character you listen to in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, her it definitely doesn't look like her. Like she has like dark yeah. hair. Like her hair is dark. Who's this? That's supposed to be Kincaid, right? But is he white? Well, no, it's just like a real buff dude with no shirt. And he's got like a machete in his hand. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> so it's so interesting, though. Like, I feel like they're like, well, here's kind of what the, this character is going to be a punk. And this character like, is like, and here's here's the wizard kid. But it does not look like him. No. Yep. So it's just very I'm so curious how that all goes down. I wonder if they gave him the screenplay. Or something like that. And he had to read the script and then be like, okay. And then from what he's envisioning. It's like, so weird though. Like you would just think like these people are going to be like the poster images. You would want them to look like them. Regardless, like I love that. Oh, they're, the, they're the best posters. You, you had me thinking too. Freddy's Revenge too has like Freddy in the bathroom mirror. I don't remember that ever being a plot point in that movie. And I feel like the girlfriend in the poster looks a lot like Kim. Is that her name? Yeah, Maybe in real life. I think. Or sure. It's so horrible. I should remember a little better. But yeah, I feel like she actually looks like her in my my eyes mind. Yeah. And also, but keep in mind too, uh, yeah, I wonder if they just gave him the broad strokes of like the story before they even like filmed anything. Because, you know, Friday the 13th, most of those posters started before they even shot anything. They were just, they threw them out for advertising. Like, cause that was kind of what you did with horror movies back in the day. You had a title and you're like, let's just sell it. Start selling advertising for this thing. Uh, even though we haven't even started, like we're in pre-production, we haven't even started shooting any of it yet. So the thing that blew my mind was when it was making the rounds, and this was a long time ago now, about the original Halloween poster and how the hand looks like there's a face coming out of it. Yes, the fist, like the way yep. it lines up, it looks like a guy screaming with like these veins coming out like the side of his head. It is so crazy. Once you see it, you're like, oh my god, that's what that is. But like, is it or is yep. it just? No, I, I read somewhere it was intentional. Like oh, really? Yeah, he threw it in oh, there as okay. a little thing that, like, they were kind of like, I'm surprised that uh, people didn't pick up on that until, like, recent, you know, like, recent years. It's been in plain sight for a long time, so. And, like, the Gremlins poster, and probably because you haven't been able to see it in high def for so long, but, like, his belt mm -hmm. um, button is the Amblin logo. Oh, oh, I like, didn't know that. Because he's like holding the box, right? Yeah, like that's the yes. Gremlins poster. His yep. belt, but not the buckle, but like the the snap that like Oh yeah, the button. The button, like above yeah. like his zipper, is yeah. the Amblin logo. I love little small details like that. They're so cool. I love old painted poster art. Like I think of immediately who I think of is one of the greats is Drew Struzan. And he did like the Indiana Jones movie posters, the classic oh, yeah. ones, and the Star Wars, the original movie posters. Um, I don't know. He probably did some horror movies because the guy painted like he did the Back to the Future movie posters like dude did a lot, but, but he's like incredible. And I love old painted movie posters like that. 
Yeah, I love the Return to Oz poster. It's along those lines. And I wonder if it is... The same guy? It might be Drew Struzan. Look, yeah, Return to Oz poster art. Drew Struzan! It is! Yeah. Yep, he's awesome. But I remember a friend of mine is like, that doesn't look like Feruza Bulk. I'm like, it kind of does. And I can see if you watch it and was like, oh, that's not quite the same girl. But I think it kind of looks like her. Now, I know like it probably was because I I follow Drew Struzan on... Um... Uh, social media okay. uh, and he shares all kinds of stuff from his vault and he would have like for the back to the future posters he had michael j fox and christopher lloyd model for the posters and okay. he them so it's like i'm pretty sure he probably would have actually used for his vault because that's part of his method was if he could he would get the actors to model so he could paint them which makes sense but like yeah. for sure i would imagine the nightmare on elm street ones that did not happen just no, based on no, 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 no. I, I think they were pretty much just like you know what freddy krueger looks like paint that and then <laughs> here's a rundown of what the other characters are gonna be and i love them and the other interesting poster art thing i wanted to talk about was the new scream do you remember that fan made poster that came out where it was like uh like the ghost face and its mouth was like a tunnel yeah. And it was like, welcome home, Sydney. And there was like a car like drive, or maybe you just yeah. saw that, the, the streak. And everyone thought it was like the real poster because there wasn't a real poster yet. And it wasn't, it was a fan poster. But then after all of like the new, the actual official posters started coming out, they hired that guy to do a poster that incorporated that design. Oh, and good. it was like for like their Dolby premiere posters or whatever like for the dolby screenings mm -hmm. in certain theaters and they used that artist because the fans loved that poster so much like they listened and and he did a version of it and i just think that's so fucking cool like, yeah i so often hate modern movie poster art because it really fell into the whole like you can tell an advertising department did it and it's just photoshopped like pictures I mean, Scream it. started that, a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Scream. It, a lot of that started in the 90s where they just started like, we're going to Photoshop in headshots of the actors and character. And it's like, you and not losing. the OG, OG Scream poster, but like once it was a hit, all those posters and the movie boxes were all Drew Barrymore front and center and yep. the lineup of all the people sort of next to, to the main person fanning yep. out on the sides, especially those late 90s horror films. That's what they all were. But it was so many of those posters were just like, here are the people in this. Yeah. And here's my big gripe. The worst offenders are the fucking like Marvel movies. And stuff like that, where if you see those posters in a theater, it's all just Photoshop of all the, you know, characters on there. It's you're making a movie of a comic book, like get comic book artists to come in and do a fucking cool poster, even just art from the comics like that would be a cool tie-in but you know they always just do like and here's robert downey jr photoshopped in here and everybody else and some maybe we painted something but it's it's not it doesn't make you think of a comic book you don't look at that and you're like oh cool you know but that's man, my guy i love movie po i love posters mm -hmm. i mean i design them for our theater and I mean, I do a lot of different things. I'm not an artist. I can like take photos and I can do some interesting Photoshoppy things. Yeah. Uh, I have hired artists sometimes that I know, like people that I, and I'm like, here's what I'm looking for. And I don't know how to do it. Like, can you design this and give me a high def quality thing and I'll pay you, you know, peanuts compared to what they're actually worth, I'm sure. But like, I love posters so much. I love them. Mm -hmm. I love them. I love them. And good ones are just even yeah. better.
I love uh, minimal posters too. Like a lot yes. of, there's a lot of cool ones of those that yes. people do. And I, I think actually, you know what? Let me, let me grab something real quick. Okay. Since we're talking about this, I didn't mention this. This is what my brother got me for Christmas. It's this big art book called Ooh. Ad Nauseum. Uh, uh, it's newsprint nightmares from the 70s and 80s. Oh, so it's a collection my God. of repros of like the newsprint from oh 70s my god that's 80s. beautiful who knew such a thing existed yeah and it's uh it's put together by michael uh jingold or gingold i don't know how you say his name apparently he was the uh uh he was a writer and editor with fangoria and rue morgue magazine for a long time uh. so he's got these archives of all this like he's got this book he's got another one called ad nauseum 2 that's the 90s into the 2000s, I think. Uh, and then he's got another one that's science fiction movie ads from like the 70s. How so, beautiful is that? Yeah, and just flipping through it, it's just, it's so cool. So Bert got that for you? Oh yeah, he did. Bert! Like, see, there's the that classic The Exorcist oh, yeah. newspaper ad. So oh, that's brilliant. understated and wonderful. But yeah, flipping through this, I'm like, Oh my God, there's like movies in here that we should do on the show that I'm finding like, ooh, I don't think you've seen that one. And uh, that's a good one. So that is so exciting. And very I, cool. And I love alternative posters. I mean, my the other account I always tag in our Instagram post is my other account that I started before we started the podcast, which is Flaming Scream Queen, spelled all the the ways that you should spell those three words in like the dictionary all put together. But I haven't done anything in so long because it's just the management of our account is a lot. So yeah. I just like forget about it. But like I like to post alternative posters on there. And lots of those when I can find them are like minimalist posters. Because mm -hmm. now that the, the internet is what it is, I mean, there's just stuff ripe for the taking. I mean, not yeah. the stealing, but like, if you want to find something, you can find it. You can find a hundred versions of Nightmare on Elm Street poster from various places, foreign yeah. posters, independent posters, student made posters, like whatever, like it is out there. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many cool concepts. And sometimes the coolest are the most simple. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely, love absolutely. No. And I remember with that account, you were kind of uh, synchronizing it with stuff we were covering. It was you put posters of movies we were watching. Yeah. And then I just forget about it, but I should every week, I should make it a part of what I do to just find a poster for each of the things we're doing that's a little bit outside the box. Because what I always try to do, and honestly, where I get a little way down in the, I don't know if minutia is the right word, but maybe I'm so bad with words. <laughs> but where I get bogged down in the minutia is the hashtags, because like I want to yes. go on the IMDb and put all the actors and directors and stuff. And like, it's just, to me, that seems to take up so much time. Yes. <laughs> I'm lazy. I'm not lazy. Just, it's just a lot. Just to try and get eyes on your thing. That's I'm terrible about hashtags. I'm the guy on Instagram that puts stuff up with no hashtags. So I'm like, <laughs> no one's going to see this, but I don't care. It's for me more than sharing with the world. So. But I probably don't need to get down to like whoever played waiter number two. I don't need to hashtag yeah. them. I really can just do the movie name and maybe a yeah. director or something. Sure. And people find it. So you know what? I'm making a vow now that moving that one of my 2022 goals, because it's not too late. It's never too late to make a goal. You can make a goal in December for the rest of the year. Okay. Yeah. But one of my goals is every week to at least do a poster from one of the movies we do. Because if I just posted every week, once every week on there, that would be a lot more than I've been doing. And then that account remains alive. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like it. So have you watched anything since I saw you a couple days ago? 
Not really. <laughs> no. I watched a couple more episodes of Child's Play, or I mean of Chucky. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost done with it. And finally, like the people, Jennifer Tilly showed up and Jennifer, Jennifer Elise, Christine Elise mm-hmm. from part two. And um, Al- Alex Vincent, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He's very active on, on the social medias. And he's a cute little, cute little gay. And I mean, I think I mentioned this before. Like, I, I do appreciate that there is a like a, a younger gay character on it. And not only is there a young little gay character, but spoiler alert, he may have a little love interest. And that's mm. really adorable, too, just to see young, cute gay love. Like, it's just because it's one thing to have a character like coming out and being traumatized by that. Like that story has been told a lot, not to say it's not an important storyline, but it's nice to just see gay characters and relationships and dating and having crushes with people where it's not all traumatic. And yeah, in a way that's uh, like they do hetero relationships, which are just not always about trauma, (laughs) like just, you know, regular love story sometimes. So as everyone says and we all know representation matters so it does and i mean it makes sense that it comes in the child's play world just based on mancini wait Mm -hmm. is that right don that's correct don mancini don Don mancini the fact that he and i was reading somewhere like he maybe wasn't out or very open about it when like the whole franchise started but mm-hmm. as he started to come more into his own is when the franchise sort of opened up in that regards to having them having their their child and dealing with some of the interesting things that happen in seat of chucky mm-hmm. and and i so i think that that's really cool because people i don't i mean i'm in a lot of gay horror groups but i don't hear people shitting on Chucky for being having these really strong gay storylines, especially with like teens, like mm-hmm. the, the fans seem to still love the show. And I just, it's just, I, I, like you said, representation matters. And I just like to see it becoming more normalized um, mm-hmm. in, in all genres, because sometimes like less popular genres stay a little bit away from it because their typical fan may not be someone who is thought of as being like an ally or whatever. Yeah, there's there's a lot of shitheads out there still. So there are just no matter where you are, no matter what genre you're a part of, there are shitheads. Yep. Yes. So let's rise above. Mm-hmm. What else? <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I'm probably not timely anymore because I remember when I read this was probably like a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I did see some blurbs because the award season circuit's going on and he's in, I wish I could remember the name of the movie, but I don't. Sorry, Peter Dinklage, but he is in a movie that's part of the award circuit. Cyrano. Cyrano, that's, yeah, that's it. It's Cyrano. Uh, And somewhere in there, somebody asked him about, hey, in a movie you have coming out soon is the Toxic Avenger remake that you are, you know, as far as we know, Toxian, like he's the lead. And they were asking him about it and he said that it will be as 
you know, ridiculous and in bad taste as a trauma production would be. Like, really, they're, they're not shying away from you know going full trauma with it. Like, they're they're not PGifying it or anything. So it's going to be graphically violent and gross, just like a trauma movie. When you say PGifying, <laughs> are you talking Psycho Goreman or are you talking like Parental Guidance? Parental Guidance. <laughs> you have to clarify with yeah, that's podcasts. true. If they PGify it, that would be a good thing because that movie had gore and fun stuff like that. So yeah, they're going in the they know what they're doing. They're not going to like sanitize it. You know, like the example I can think of is what they did with the mother's day remake where they turned it into a mainstream, like torture porn movie when the original (laughs) trauma movie is just crazy. So uh, they're staying in the bonkers realm of trauma and aesthetically keeping it trauma is what he's promising. So nice. Don't betray us, Peter Dinklage. I hope it's true. He won't. I don't think so. Yeah, and he sounds like a legit, like, in the interviews, too, he was saying that he is a fan of trauma. So that's part of why he's well, that's involved good. in this. So it's like, oh, cool, good. I also read, I, I think I started to go on this in the beginning, and then I sort of went off on a tangy about Thursday night film openings. But Scream is, like, set to make, like, $36 million this weekend, which is, like, mm-hmm. very, very good. Big opening. Big opening. Less than Halloween Kills and Quiet Place 2. But given the nature of the world now compared to, well, Quiet Place 2, when it came out, I think we were in sort of a worse spot as far as, like, people were not going to the movies at all yet. That was very new. Yeah, but yeah. Quiet Place 2, uh, you got to remember, you know, with John Krasinski's involvement and like these big mainstream actors, it brings in people that aren't necessarily going to go to like a scream, like a franchise horror mm-hmm. movie because they, they see like, oh, I'm really blunts in it. I want to go see this. So, you know. <laughs> you're, you're right. Nev Campbell is not Emily Blunt. No, uh, Nev Campbell is, you know. She is a scream queen, no pun intended, but you know, she she's up there. For me, it's like Nev Campbell and Jamie Lee Curtis are like just two of the greatest in my mind. So Yeah, everyone I know is loving it. My friend Vince really didn't want to go see it because he hates scary movies, but his boyfriend really wanted him to. And so they're there right now. And I'm so mm. jealous because I wanted to go. He was so scared. And I was like, I wish I could have that feeling. Yeah. Like <laughs> when people tell me that they're so scared of scary movies, I'm like, how? I wish I <laughs> I was when I was a child, like seeing them for the first time, but like then I was just like, ooh, I like this feeling. Oh, I like the things that are happening in this. <laughs> now I'm just desensitized. So I saw a meme that said, if you're if you don't like watching scary movies, here's how to do it. And someone was sitting in front of a movie watching, uh, you know, I mean, sitting in front of a screen watching like a scary movie and they had their phone up with like, um, like a, a Snapchat filter on. And like, there was like a demon on the screen but the demon had like, like bunny ears, <laughs> and, like googly eyes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Me, I'm like, demons are cool. Let's see it. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> So I'm excited. I, I hope Scream even outdoes what they think it will do. Because I think it's possible. I mean, because of how much people are loving it and talking mm-hmm. about it, I think it's entirely possible that it could do even better than they're projecting it to do. But I also read it was made for all of $25 million. Like it was oh. made on a very tight budget. Yeah, that is for one of these like franchise pictures. Yeah, like that. so if it makes that, it's already you know, made its budget and then some. So everything after that is just gold or good for them. And I think that's the key, man, to like redo these, you know, 
franchises that have been around forever is give it a modest budget, make the, you know, bring it back to basics, make the, the filmmakers more creative in what they are going to do, what they can do. Uh, I, I, I really think that, you know, uh, what adversity breeds uh, creativity. So mm-hmm. I think that really helps some of these like flourish again, where they're like, just do a modest budget and see what they can come up with, with a more yeah. limited scope uh, and rebuild from there. Then go forward less, from there. Less CGI, more creativity, yep. more practical effects, less, you know, you know, bring it, focus in on your core characters and some human story instead of having broad, that could have been one of the things, I don't know what the budget was for Halloween kills, but I think that was one of the issues uh, mm-hmm. overall was they just went way too broad with it and tried to make like, we're going to make an epic instead of what Halloween is about, which is a really contained, you know, story. Well, Halloween kills budget was 20 million. So really. Not oh, wow. So much. I'm wrong. Never mind. But... <laughs> and it's man, there's an outlier. There's there. an outlier there. <laughs> and it's you. It's me. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, let's share our movies with each other. Shall we? All right. Let's do it. You go first this time, I believe. All right. Well, I just have an urge to watch this again, so it's why I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to give you scary stories to tell in the dark. Ah, very cool. Uh, Like, I know what this is. I I read, you know, this movie was made for me. I'm like one of the (laughs) demographics. Why haven't you seen it? Because I grew up... I did, you know, it, it's one of those things I get hesitant with these children's book series turned into movies because sure. I read scary stories to tell in the dark. In fact, those books are still at my parents' house, like buried, you know, in a box somewhere. I have like probably some old goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark. So I know it's somehow they've weaved a plot around the various because those are just retellings of folk tales with really mm-hmm. fucked up art in those books oh, uh, and urban best. legends. Uh, so I know somehow they're going to weave it all together. I'm sure maybe it'll be like the goosebumps movie, uh, where they had like, you know, the family moves to town. Did you ever see the goosebumps movie? I did not. Okay. They worked it in where it's like RL Stein was a character. And then you find out like, Oh, the monsters from my books were real. Now they're escaping into the real world. I'm imagining it's going to be something like that where they're like, these stories are real or something like that. And now they've escaped out into the world. And, uh, people got to deal with it so and hilarity ensues and do you feel like you're not going to enjoy it and that's why you've not seen it i was hesitant because again there's something about adapting you know books always people are like the book was better so it's like you know you're hesitant to see an adaptation of that but i don't know i never got around to it wasn't guillermo del toro involved he produced it yeah produced it yeah so i don't know i feel like no that was something that threw me off all apologies to guillermo but I love you as a director, but the things that his name is on that are like Guillermo del Toro presents or produced by that he didn't actually direct. I feel like those are a little more hit and miss because uh, I think specifically of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which I thought was a terrible movie. Uh, so bad. That he produced. So that kind of put me off of the things that are just like, oh, his name's on there. And I'm not sure how much he had you know, involvement in crafting it but I heard good things about scary stories to tell in the dark. So I'm excited to finally see it. And it's yeah. on Netflix now. I just saw. Um, oh, it is. Yep. And I almost watched it the other day and I'm like, no, I think it's on the list. So <laughs> I avoid the things that I know are on the list when I review Fantastic. it. Fantastic. So. Well, I'm so glad. Um, what are you going to give me? I'm giving you, it's kind of a random choice. I was just, like I said, guys, 
if you're joining us for the first time, the list is this big spreadsheet we keep uh, when we have conversations of just movies the other person hasn't seen. So this is what we're drawing from when we talk about it. But I was going through it and I feel like, you know, the last movie I signed you was an old movie. So let's stay with old movies. Oh, God. Um, so I'm my going, favorite. Yeah, I'm going back and giving you from 1933 oh, the original God. The Invisible Man. Oh, okay. So, well, I'm looking forward to it. I know it's nothing like the Elizabeth Moss one. I know it's a man who happens, who's probably some sort of scientist and he becomes invisible. I know he wears like a suit at some point and bandages over his head. I feel like people are just like after him falsely. Like, I don't know if it's because he's invisible and they think that's weird and that he must be psychotic or if it's because he's like been framed for something. I feel like that feels like a little too modern, but maybe not. So I feel like the law is after him and he sort of can skirt around that by being invisible and the whole, he's not going to know how to go back to being visible. And he's also trying to, you know, get his name cleared. And I think it's going to have a happy ending. He will become visible. He will fall in love or remain in love with someone who thought he was long gone and the end. <laughs> I really want to talk about that description you just gave. Cause <laughs> it's kind of, I, I got something funny for you when we do come back and talk right. about the invisible man. So, and I've not seen it because I have like, when I did my little round, I think right before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. I had like, Oh, it was right when the pandemic hit and Ford took like a forced week off. Everyone had to take a week off of work, like unpaid. And I dived into a lot of the original class universal. Yeah. Monsters. Know, so I watched, like Frankenstein, Dracula creature from the black lagoon and this old house. Yeah. And the invisible man was on that list and I didn't make it. So, yep. Here we go. Well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, it's been a while since I've watched it. So, I remember the broad strokes. So, it'll be good to dive back into that. I love strokes. Yeah. Stroking <laughs> can be quite enjoyable. Um, so, <laughs> all right. Well, let's go watch them and come back. Yeah, let's do it. See you guys soon. Take it away, Nick Kastriba. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Hey, everyone. Uh, We're back. Yeah, we are. From the first half to the second half. If this is your first time, I guess, do we explain this every time? I don't I know. Mean, I do it every couple of times because you just never know when someone's dropping in. Yeah, if you're dropping in for the first time, it's what happens. You know, you get nice little theme music from our friend Nick the Knife Kastriba. And uh, boom, we're back. Yes, we are. And we are starting off with my flick that I gave to you, which is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, that's it. And the description from Letterboxd, well, the tagline is stories taken from true urban legends, which is what you said earlier. Mm -hmm. And the 
description is mill valley pennsylvania halloween night 1968 after playing a joke on a school bully sarah and her friends decide to sneak into a supposedly haunted house that once belonged to the powerful bellows family unleashing dark forces that they will be unable to control <laughs> man were these some scary stories to tell in the dark <laughs> was did you ever have a favorite one i mean it depends on how you quantify favorite the one you liked the most the, okay. <laughs> well i think the one the most effective one the scariest one to me that i remember forever is the spider bite the red dot is that what it was called in the book the red dot yes which they did in you know, the movie. Uh, so that one got me because I thought that was the creepiest, grossest story out of all of them ever. But uh, there's this one where like a monster follows a guy home. Uh, it was not in the movie, but that's what I remember being my favorite. And I can't remember what it was called. Um, I just remember the artwork had this like little guy running with this big floating creature fetus looking thing behind him. That one sticks out to me uh i'm gonna have to research and see if i can find it and what it was called at some point but um yeah i remembered uh some of these as they appeared i don't remember harold the scarecrow is he from an actual story in there probably yes yeah i don't but remember I don't, that one i don't really either i remember the drawing very specifically yeah i remember the illustration of him that's why i didn't real i didn't remember if he was just a mascot like for the books or was he actually in one of the stories no i think he has his own story there's a documentary on my little secret site about this and i remember hearing about it coming out but i didn't know it actually had come out and was a real thing mm -hmm. so i, I want to watch that yeah that'd be fascinating uh and i remember the big toe that one was pretty scary Oh, the hook was in there. You know, the classic, uh, the, the kids uh, hear the scratching on the car door and then they find the hook hanging from there. That was in one of them. Because I, I remember the like, yeah, like the stuff hanging off of this, like the back of the, like the stumpy or the hook. Yeah, there was like gore hanging from the stump. Yeah. Yep. And in the big toe, there was that little boy like on like a hill and there was like a toe because he like chopped off the toe and took it home to eat because the family was hungry. That yep. was the whole crux of the story. Yeah. And then I was reading that they took a monster from a different story and that was like the monster who came to retrieve their toe that was like from like some haunted house story and i wondered because i thought that was always the creepiest one there was like a girl who had like like she almost was skeletal mm -hmm. maybe half skeleton or something and that was always the scariest drawing i can see the image in my head as soon yeah. as you said it like i remember that one and then i had to look up the jangly man who appears at towards the end of the movie sorry guys spoiler spoiler spoilers uh abound but uh yeah i had to look that one up and then i remembered the story because i remembered the drawing because in the illustration it just shows a chimney with like feet inside the chimney yeah. uh and so they kind of like realized that creature from a very vague drawing and made up their own thing for that guy but all right so now what did you think of the movie um Initially, as it got going, I was like, oh, this is going to be rough because this is not grabbing me. Like the first half hour or so really feels like a real glossy made for TV movie. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is about it, but it feels more like a like uh, an afternoon Halloween special <laughs> like they used to put sure. on uh, network TV. Uh, I remember growing up. So I was like, OK, uh, 
and it gets better once the monsters start happening. Like by about the time Harold happens, the story of the scarecrow, that's where it picks up. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, overall, I was getting a very, and I said this in the first half, uh, it's like a darker version of the Goosebumps movie. Like it feels very similar to what they did with the Goosebumps movie. Uh, so I was getting vibes from that, which I did enjoy the Goosebumps movie. And I, for the most part, enjoyed this. Um, it's just, like I said, there's some pacing in the beginning that I was like, this is kind of slow and I'm not exactly crazy about these kids for the most part, uh, especially the boys. Uh, I liked the girl, but the two, you know, friends were kind of irritating to me. See, the first time I saw it, I felt exactly the same way. I went to the movie theater to see it and I left an hour in. Like, I just was like, yeah, I'm oh, wow. done with this. Maybe 45 minutes. Like, I just was like, yeah, no, I'm not in the mood. This is not great. Like, I was hoping it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And then now I talk about them all the time because I have a podcast crush on them. But my friends said it's only a podcast loved this movie and i think it was in one of their best of like ranked right at the top and they topped talked a lot about you know how it had all these deeper themes than you would imagine from this sort of pg-13 um teenager movie really like it's that's what mm -hmm. it's sort of made for but that the themes run deeper than in a lot of those types of flicks and so i was like all right i'll give it a second try and the second time i watched the whole thing and just like found it very effective and this time i i liked it a lot as well but i really liked the beginning this time i don't remember oh, okay. remember not liking it the second time but the first time obviously like i was like yeah this is dumb i'm out of here but i really liked how it takes its time to like set things up like the first scare doesn't happen for so long and mm -hmm. i i like that because in this day and age ever since scream although scream's not the first one to do it but like there always has to be that kill right at the beginning to get you hooked. And then we got to keep you. And I, I liked that it took its time getting to know the characters. And I really liked the core group. I really found them endearing and to all have personalities and fully fleshed out. And I just, I felt that it really, the time it took to, to get us there was worth it. So I was, I wrote a note about that. Like I just, I really liked that it took its time in the beginning. And funny enough, that's something I was thinking too, is as this ended though, I'm like, I wonder if this is something I should rewatch later and see how I feel uh, at another time. Like what will change in my thought? Cause it, it just, it like, I, I, and I'm not even sure what I expected, but it was a movie. It was not what I thought the movie was going to be. Uh, it, you know, it zigged, it zigged whenever I thought it was going to zag and so forth. Like it, it went directions that, I didn't anticipate, like I understood what the full, you know, the big picture story was going to be, but uh, the minor, the details in there. Um, I was going to say, especially at the end there, again, guys, spoilers abound throughout here. So uh, don't listen, go watch the movie or hopefully you've already seen it if we're talking about it. But at the end, you know, they're like the, the story of Sarah Bellows. Uh, and it turns out she was like an old timey Aaron Brockovich because she found out that the water was poisoned. And <laughs> She was trying to, you know, blow the whistle on it and then they <laughs> ruined her life and she became a ghost witch thing. But anyway, that's what I was thinking. I was like, OK, kind of fun. I didn't see that coming as a reveal at the end. Yeah, I, I like that it sort of veers into that territory of like 
how history is rewritten to give the bad guys the upper hand. And mm -hmm. in particular, in this case, as often as the case, it's over women, men yeah. dominating women and writing their own narrative and putting the truth and hiding that away and sort of the revenge that comes out of that. And while again, spoilers in case you haven't heard it the last two times we've said it, what I really like in this is at the end when she sort of gets through to Sarah, when Stella sort of connects with her and Stella's, as Sarah's like, write your own story or write my story here, you have to do it in blood. Her friends don't just magically come back. Mm -hmm. Like, I like that the end of the movie is open-ended in that way because I, a sequel's in the works, but it's been in the works for a while, but also COVID, so. Yeah. But I like the idea that she could find, but in a typical teen movie, I just feel the curse would have been removed and everyone would have magically reappeared through glitter and and everyone would have been reunited. And I liked that it wasn't that. And I also liked that her friend Ramon like ends up enlisting. Like he because his seemed like his fear, because everyone sort of talked about things they were afraid of was like of like the war and things like that. And so and I don't know, like at first I thought, well, is it like he should have stuck it to the man and knock on, but at the same time, I kind of liked that he did. I, I don't know. There was something to all of it. And I know that the time frame with like Nixon and stuff, probably there's things in there that relate since I'm not political in the way of knowing a lot about history and like connecting all the the deeper levels of what was going on at the time. I'm sure there were even more connections, but I also liked that it didn't take place in the 80s because everything's taking place in the 80s now. And these yeah. stories came about in the 80s, <laughs> like like the books rather, not the stories, but the books. Yeah. So I liked that they took it back. Yeah, that's it. I feel like the Vietnam War era is, they do it with some of it, like uh, the most recent King Kong. Kong Skull Island used the end of the Vietnam era, their war era. There's something about that that seems like um, the movies that are doing it now, I think, are ahead of the curve. Like, watch, and then there's going to be a million retro movies that just use like the late 60s, early 70s now uh, as their time period when everyone's like, I'm done with the 80s, do something else. So that's where they're going to jump back to, I bet. But yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. I bet you there's some deeper stuff, like you said, I should re watch and read some analyses and see what I pick up on. I did notice that she had a Gamera poster in her room. That was cool. <laughs> I, I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, it's real quick, but in just one shot, she's got, uh, it says Gamera the Invincible, which is, you know, the, the original Gamera movie. So I was like, there's that giant turtle. There's Guillermo's fingerprints. Of course, he's <laughs> going to have some stuff like that in there. And the, the movie they go to, the double feature at the drive-in is Roger Corman's The Terror with the original Night of the Living Dead. And I was like, oh, both of those are technically public domain movies. So that's why those are in there. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And I also, the thing that I really took away from this is what a good song Season of the Witch is. Yeah. It's just so good. It's not a song that's in my like rotation. Like I hear it rarely, but mm -hmm. it is so good. Like that first version. And then the second version, I had a um, Shazam it because I didn't know who it was. And it was Lana Del Rey. Oh, oh, very cool. I know. I thought that was yeah, really cool. That that goes, I think that's another reason, you know, people start using the late 60s and early 70s because the music is fantastic for that time period. You can use all kinds of real. I feel like all pop music was kind of sinister back then. So it it just the, the vibe of the times. And the Red Room Lady is definitely so creepy. And I think because she's smiling, like it just makes <laughs> it so creepy. 
Yeah, and then she'll was... just ingest you with her body. Yep, and then she was just everywhere. I'm like, oh, there's some Matrix shit going on here. Like every time he turns <laughs> around, there, there she is. Um, yeah, that was freaky. Yeah, and I, I also think I read that the the jangly man or whatever that they tied a couple stories in there as well. So there were a couple oh, okay. of them that had sort of mashups of different stories put together but i think it's an effective pg-13 flick i I mean there's definitely like i for whatever reason i thought like hearing her get like electrocuted over a tape player like i thought that seemed like really disturbing (laughs) like i don't know i'm like i'm not even seeing it yeah it's greatly disturbing me yeah that was this, this is a movie too where i'm like if i were like a young teenager now if i were like 12 or 13 like this would be a perfect movie for us to go like totally bonkers over at like a sleepover or something like that. Cause um, it's just scary enough, not too much, but fun enough with some cool monsters. Like we totally would have been freaking ourselves out watching this thing. And I think that, it, I mean, it has its decent share of CGI, but I think there's some good practical stuff in there as well. I just could go a little bit less of like the computer generated of course effects more practical yes yes more More... herald (laughs) yes more herald and even the the creepy red room lady a lot of the time seemed like a, a practical effect it was like her face that seemed like fake yeah uh yeah speaking of faces too I was sitting there trying to figure out the logistics of Harold. So clearly he's that family's scarecrow that they've had for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking at his face, I'm like, so what it, are, are they like the Leatherface family? Did they make like a human skin? Like what was the, cause usually a scarecrow <laughs> is just a burlap sack or like, was he supposed to be like a Halloween mask they put on him? Like I want the origin of that specific <laughs> scarecrow. Like how did they put that together? Cause it looked like human skin face, but it's like, what was that? I also thought that kill, if that's what you'll call it, was pretty creepy with like the corn coming out of him and the yep. hay and stuff. I thought that and then was he pretty. Turns into a scarecrow. Yeah, you yeah, are what a... you eat. I feel like killer scarecrows are an underutilized horror monster. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a few you know touchstones of that subgenre, but yeah, need I need to, to rewatch more. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow because I only saw it once when I was a little kid. Yeah, I remember it being pretty good. That's what people say. Mm -hmm. There's that. There's also another one called Night of the Scarecrow, uh, which is a slasher movie with a killer scarecrow. Hmm. Uh, What else is there? Oh, and there's one called Scarecrows, Hmm. uh, which has a whole bunch of like an army of killer scarecrows in it. So, you know, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, your description, I mean, you've, you've read the stories. You thought it would be a little like Goosebumps, like maybe the monsters were real and they escaped in the world, which is kind of exactly what this is in some ways. And you thought hilarity would ensue. So while was you said it wasn't, it wasn't quite what you expected it to be, like it kind of was. I, I guess yeah. I like that it's not like a an anthology film in that way, like that it takes these stories and it makes it all one cohesive thing. I, yeah. I can dig that. Yeah, that was cool. It seems Um, less lazy than an anthology film. And not to say anthology films are bad, but I think it takes a little more creativity to sort of make it all work as one long thing. Yeah. And speaking of hilarity ensuing, there was the line, the one uh, the one character when he was like, I can't die. I haven't had sex yet. And I was like, that's funny. (laughs) That made me laugh. 
the line that made me laugh was you don't read the book the book reads you <laughs> <laughs> i was like boo oh man but all together yeah it was fun yeah i i enjoy it so out of five blood pens how many um, do you rate it i'm feeling generous it's gonna get a three and a half all right well i gave it three and a half the last time and i'm going to still give it a three and a half <laughs> i almost cool. at the moment went up to four but there it's just not it's just still a little too pg-13 ish as much as i say it's a very good pg-13 it is still like seems to be made for kids and there's a lot of things i like about it but it still is just it's a, a above average so we get a solid scare of approval yes yeah it's funny too i saw a review on letterboxd where somebody had said this felt like a movie that uh or, or the paradox was that the books were written for children but they were written in such a way that when we read them as kids it made us feel like we were reading something we shouldn't have that was just yes. too, too much for us whereas the movie was like the inverse where it felt like it should have been more intense but they were dumbing it down for children to see it so it's like yeah that's kind of funny like I feel like they could have gone further with the terror in this and kind of geared it more towards us, the audience that read these old books and grew up like they should have been still trying to capture us instead of making it for modern kids. So, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the sequel. I imagine yeah. it would still be PG-13. I can't imagine they'll be like, we're going to make the second one R, but you never know. You never know. Could happen. So, yeah, I guess uh, from there we shall move on to... The Invisible Man, the original yeah. Invisible Man from 1933, directed by James Whale. Uh, for those of you that are keeping track, that is the same James Whale that directed the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, so he had quite the repertoire with Universal. Uh, and the tagline on Letterboxd is Carl Lemley presents H.G. Wells's Fantastic Sensation. Uh, for those of you that don't know, a little history, Carl Lemley was like the head of Universal Studios back then. So uh, his name carried a lot of weight when they put it on these like monster movies. Uh, and the description is working in Dr. Cranley's laboratory. Scientist Jack Griffin was always given the latitude to conduct some of his own experiments. His sudden departure, however, has Cranley's daughter, Flora, worried about him. Griffin has taken a room at the nearby Lion's Head Inn, hoping to reverse an experiment he conducted on himself that made him invisible. There's more to this description, but I'm going to stop there because that really explains it. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So here are my thoughts. Like effect wise, it is very, very good, right? Like, I'm like, how did you do that back then? How did In you know how to do that? Yeah. That's like beyond impressive. Here's my major issue with it. And I don't even know that it's an issue. It is the way it is. I don't think anyone would argue with me on this, but I guess the reason I have a hard time being like, I really loved this was because he's just such a fucking dick. <laughs> Yes. Like, he's such a dick, and I never know who to root for. Like, I wanted him to get caught, but, like, I felt it could have, and I mean, I know it's based on a book, and I read it was fairly accurate, like, yeah. adaptation. There's, like, a couple things that were changed. I can't remember. Like, I think maybe she wasn't in there, Flora, or yeah. something like that. There was something some addition with her. I haven't read the book in a long time, but, yeah, this movie is, like, this is the closest Universal ever was to source material like Frankenstein and Dracula 
those are not even true to their like original novels but this one they went real close to the source material but like you don't i feel like it would have been more effective if you would have had a chance to get to know him as he's trying to find this and he's a good guy and you he, you see him with flora and you get this sort of background of who he is and who they are and then this happens and it drives him mad because they talk about how he was such a good man and now he's crazy yeah yeah but like just to hear that and not you know see it i'm just like you should like just please stop like i i i, I just didn't know who to root for and yeah. that made it difficult to emotionally get involved like as far as like i mean the person i loved the most was the the house keeper woman jenny i -hmm. loved her the landlady she was amazing so funny we got some good characterization there between her and her husband and their work like that i love them i wanted to watch a whole movie based on them every time (laughs) i rewatch it too i'm just like oh man i feel so bad for them because they have this terrible tenant they're trying to evict and he just beats up the guy and they have to go get the cops and you're like come on invisible man jack griffin you monster (laughs) I mean, even some, I even feel like in Frankenstein or any of these other movies you have, and here's the other thing that could have happened. There could have been a side character that you get to know well and you can really, but I didn't even feel that. Like I felt like this with Flora and her dad, like I didn't feel I got to know them well enough to be like, oh, I'll follow them on this side story. And so I don't know. That was like my issue with it was just. But where it was an interesting correlation with like the contemporary one is the Invisible Man, and that is also a major asshole. And mm-hmm. so like that's an interesting comparison. And they also end similarly, which that's pretty much like where it's <laughs> where it's, it's like the same. But yeah, but yeah. I and I loved the sequence, of course, when he's running amok and just causing mayhem all over the place. But he's like, "Oh, I'm afraid I need this bicycle." And then he's like, yeah. "Oh, take your bike back." Yeah, and then he's like, "I'm gonna later in the movie too." He's like, "I'm gonna crash a train and kill like countless people." And you're like, <laughs> "Really? Wow! You went from zero to a hundred there, guy." To be like, now it's just genocide is what I want to cause. Totally. Like he was just a major asshole. Yeah. Which, you know, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. I just, I like to emotionally get involved in someone along the way. Someone, yeah. And no. I thought maybe that was going to be Flora, but she didn't have much to do at all. I, I always feel like, too, that every time I, because re- I probably go every couple of years, you know, I revisit this movie. Like, I go back to these universal classics. And this one isn't one of my top echelon. You know, I feel like it's a lesser uh, of the classic monster movies. But every time I do rewatch it, I think about like, what a bold choice for 1933 too, to be like, all right, your main character is the bad guy and he's a giant asshole and he's your only developed character that you're really going to get to spend any time with. And then there's the, like his partner scientist who's just a giant dweeb that he tries to use. And yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, hard (laughs) but when you talk about it like that like i think my first thing that comes to mind is like american psycho where he is like a bad guy but you're following him but you also i mean you don't care about him like you love him but Mm -hmm. like it's fun to hate him like he's like there's something and i didn't feel that here i mean i got a little giggly when he's like take your bike back or when he pushes over the baby or yeah those are fun moments they're fun but like I, i would have rather have seen him 
had things hor- horrible things happen to him and him deal with it in a way like Patrick Bateman did that you're like, oh yeah, I get why this guy's a dick. And I just never quite had that as much as like the landlady's like annoying us up. But like he comes in and he demands a room and she's like, we don't have one. He's like, we'll get one. And she's like, OK, yeah. <laughs> I just loved her. She was my favorite thing about Yeah, it. she's she's hilarious. But I would rather watch this over Dracula any day where you were talking oh, about wow. someone your favorite. Like I found Dracula to be pretty boring. Mm-hmm. I found this to be very like short, sweet. Things were always sort of happening and moving. Every time, yeah, anytime he was partially invisible, it was so, such a, a feat to watch. Like it was like, wow, that how do they do that? That's so cool. And so I really enjoyed it in that regard, as far as it being like a fun ride. Like I never yeah. was like bored. Yeah, the the scene where you catch a glimpse of him uh, while he's eating, uh, and you see the top half that's still bandaged, but then just nothing where the mouth should be like that. To me, every time it looks incredible. Like even by today's standards, you're like, how the hell did they do that? Like that looks awesome. But yeah, those moments, yeah, fantastic. And Claude Rains as the Invisible Man, like he just dials it up to such operatic uh, moments, you know. When everyone wants to catch a glimpse of him, and he's like, fine, I'll show you, and he starts taking everything <laughs> off, and you're like, that's that is super villainy 101 right there, like just wonderfully over the top. And was that him at the end when he like comes to be visible? Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay. that was Claude, Claude Rains. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Although if you haven't watched this, it's, you know, almost 100 years old. So get to it. Although I hadn't watched it. So I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not shitting yeah. on you. Oh, and I did want to say too, when you tried to guess the plot of this, yes. uh, you were describing the plot of the sequel, The Invisible Man Returns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough. Yeah, the, the original sequel, The Invisible Man Returns stars uh, Vincent Price. A young Vincent Price as the titular Invisible Man in that, uh, and he's a guy that uh, is wrongfully accused of a crime, and he uses the invisibility formula to go out there and try and clear his name. So, oh. uh, yeah, funny enough, yeah, I was like, wow, he's describing the plot of the sequel to this, the first sequel. Well, it sounds like I might like that one a little bit more. Yeah, I might have to assign it at some point, and we can talk about that one because I've only seen that one like once ever before, and thought it was pretty fun totally a different ride from this one because they kind of went you know the invisible man is the monster of this movie and then there's a bunch of sequels and all those sequels they turned the various because there's a bunch of different characters that become invisible men they kind of become heroes or anti-heroes uh more mm-hmm. likely so it's it's you get to connect with them more emotionally i think that's what you were looking for so maybe yes we'll yes. visit the first sequel and see how you feel about that one so when you get to the end it like after all the the horrible things he's done, in particular the train, like <laughs> they seem so concerned with him dying, and they're not like he's not like locked up, and they're like, oh, you better go to him. Like they seem to be putting such care into him, and it's like, why he's like he's a mass a murderer, criminal, <laughs> like mass murdering psycho. He kicked over a baby. <laughs> he did, and also he just seems to know. He's like, well, as he dies, his body will become more visible. I'm like, oh, you know this to be true. <laughs> there's, a, there's a moment <laughs> in early. It's uh, it's when they go to get the police when he's at the inn. Uh, you know, and he takes off the bandages, and then they run back downstairs, scared, and the constable's just like, well. He appears to be invisible. If he takes his clothes off, we'll never catch him. And it's like, that guy is really quick on the uptake. Like, he figured that out real fast. (laughs) He wasn't just like, it's a headless guy. Like, he knew what was happening. So, um, yeah, I thought that was funny. It's like, I guess their way of just condensing. I feel like in the book, 
I remember there was like long winded ex- scientific explanations of everything that they just condensed into people being sure. like, well, he's invisible. That's how it is. As it should be. Yep. But yeah, I thought it was fun. I just, I mean, I spoke my issues. I just wanted to be able to connect with someone and I just didn't have that. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of fascinating too to look at. Uh, so James Whale does Frankenstein. The studio Universal really wants him to make a sequel to Frankenstein because Frankenstein was so um, such a huge hit. And he's like, no, it was, you know, we told the whole story that I don't have anything more. Uh, and so he picked up this project in between because they're like, we need another science fiction fantasy horror type story. So he's like, well, I like H.G. Wells and I like this book. So we'll, let's make The Invisible Man. Um, but eventually they still convinced him like a year or two after this to, to come back for Bride of Frankenstein. So I feel like if you watch the three in sequence, uh, and in fact, I found lots of essays online of people talking about his, you know, his overall as a director. Like you can watch his development as a filmmaker between these three movies and him becoming a better director as he goes. So there you go, film nerds. If you want to look that stuff up, <laughs> there's a lot written about James Whale in these early movies. I'll take your word on it. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, anyway, so you know, out of out of five crazed invisible men, they used to be good guys, but now they're evil and insane. How were many they ever were it? they ever good? But we don't know because they don't show us him as a nice man, <laughs> so that we just take their word for it. How many do you give it? I'm gonna give it three. All right, not too bad. Um, I'm gonna go with I go with a four. Uh, and let me quantify that's a historic four because I think the special effects uh, and just like what they did with this at the time period, uh, this, this rating is mostly based on the merit. Four, four stars. Another scare of approval. And that's why I give it three is based on those things too. I mean, yeah, because it, especially just the time, like it must have just been like, holy shit, the magic of cinema. Yeah, wow, look what yeah. they can do. Yes. I made a man invisible. Yep. I mean, did they use green screen? Is that like what the fuck they did? I Yeah, I don't know. I like some kind of layering of film. I, I, I don't even know. Because uh, I know that's like part of how they did uh, the Wolfman in the original Wolfman. His transformation was like layering images on top of each other to make him transform into a wolf. And uh and then there was a there's a from the 30s from this time period there's a version of dr jekyll and mr hyde where like it had to do with the exposure and they had different colored makeup painted on him so that like as they switched the lights out they were filming with like it stuff appears on his face so who knows what they did but it was some sort of in-camera trickery Hmm. okay i'll take it I'll take yeah, well, the I'll have to look it up. I'm sure there's probably uh, half the time special effects back then were based off of like stage magician tricks you'll find. So wow, uh, it's 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 wild. Okay. Well, thanks for giving it to me, Jeremy. You're welcome. Uh, you know, you I, you can always count on me to bring you back to the historic roots of I sure or the I genre sure as can. we know it. So yeah. Well, if you'd like to write to us and tell us what you want us to watch, what you've been watching, whatever, scaring and sharing at gmail.com. Yeah. What do you want to hear us talk about? You know, that'd be fun. Yeah. Give us some topic. Ask for some lists. Give us some shit. Some ideas. You know, what do you guys want to hear? What would you want us to be reviewing and doing? 
Yeah. Because we're 63 episodes deep now, you know? (laughs) Yep. I mean, there's a million movies. We could keep going forever. (laughs) Oh, dear God. With our format. But, you know, if you guys got any great ideas for stuff, we want to hear it. That's right. We're always looking for ideas. And until next time, hail Paymon. And remember, death to Videodrome. Long live the new flesh. And keep watching those movies and talking about them because... Scaring is sharing. (laughs) Bye. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.